This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hello, welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitzmorris. How are we doing? Are we okay? Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support. As I've always said, uh, not only for uh, Poetry in Motion, but of course, Ali Rouge as well, and all of the Blood Red Pods. They're all excellent and uh, always well worth a listen. So thank you very much. Joined today by um, two of the uh, heavyweights of the Echo <laughs> journalistic world. Uh, Theo Squires is with us. Hi, Theo. How are you doing, pal? Yeah, not too bad, Fitzy. Cheers for having us on again. So, last time was what before the Euros. Now it's at the end. Either before, side of Gorsty's holiday. Absolutely, and we promised to be a little less violent than um, you than your last experience in the Euros. So you just managed yeah, to just a bit. <laughs> avoid the idiots. But, uh, this is an idiot-free zone. Um, and uh, Paul Gorst is with us as well. How are you, Gorsty? Yeah, all good, Neil. Yeah, yeah, you all right? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, not too bad at all, mm. mate. You know, plodding on through it. We're in a different phase now, aren't we? We're in this sort of don't wear a mask, but you can if you want. You know the usual, yeah. um, the usual nonsense, slightly out of focus advice from the uh, from the government. So <laughs> it's a weird one because I'm sort of walking into shops and going, "Oh God, my mask!" Where I'd go back to the car and I'm thinking, "Well, I don't really need one now, do I?" But then you do. Yeah. It's a funny one, isn't it? Anyway, it's the next phase of the madness. But let's talk about the next phase of Liverpool Football Club, where we have a new season fast approaching. Uh, let's talk first of all pre-season. I'm sure you guys have been covering the games. They had those. Um, sort of strange little half-hour matches, didn't he? Um, and then the, the main sort of, the first 90 minute was against Mainz, obviously. Um, uh, Jürgen's old club. Uh, an own goal gave us a 1-0 victory. What, first of all, I'll ask you, Theo, what have you made? I know, listen, you know, it's a pre-season and it's the pre-season, it's it's the start of it all. It's fitness levels, it's it's trying to get formations in, it's bedding in new new players but um, what have you made uh, so far of, of, of what Liverpool have been doing, Theo? And who's sort of caught the eye? Um, it's one where it's just good to see the youngsters involved, isn't it? Like we say it every year, but it's one where you can get a real idea of who are the young players that Liverpool rate, who have they got the hopes for that can be part of the first team picture for going forward, and who's just there making up numbers. Like you've got the, the lad they got from Derby, Kai Gordon. He's looking at a real talent, isn't he? There's a few others that have caught the eye. It was um, was it Ian Rush's nephew who set up the goal against Mainz, Owen Beck, and it's just nice to see them getting game times. And it's been a big part of Jurgen Klopp's whole Liverpool, isn't it? Having these youngsters getting opportunities and moving them into the first team, and then if they're good enough, they stick around, like Trent, like Curtis Jones. If they don't, they get moved on, and Liverpool can get big fees for them, as we've seen only last week with Harry Wilson. And you think it's just nice to see that carrying on. But then it's the other side of what pre-season. This must be the first time Sadio Mane's actually been back for day one, been like there with the whole camp. And it's like, well, even though Liverpool had loads of internationals at Copper America at the Euros, um, considering the madness of the last two years with the pandemic and everything, it feels like it's a bit more relaxed for them. They've got so many players back and they can just take it at their own pace. For, the, for those half-hour games, it was what mixed match, wasn't it? They had half the first team and one with the kids and sorted it out. And then for the second friendly, it was um, having more of a stronger starting eleven and letting the kids finish it off. And it's just good to see what they feel from them all. Like seeing the first glimpses of Canate and Liverpool shirt, he's looked impressive. Uh, other players, it takes a bit of time for them to get up to speed. But then oh, we've seen Origi get on the score sheet. We've seen Mane get on the score sheet. Uh, you can't read too much into these preseason results, and it's never a sign that if Liverpool have a bad preseason, they're going to have a bad season. 
but it's encouraging so far. It's one where you look to what's coming against potentially Bologna, uh, Osasuna, and uh, Athletic Bilbao. Those are the ones where you can really say, well, maybe this will be how Liverpool start the season. But it's so far so good in pre-season. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And Gorsty, some really encouraging news for Liverpool fans who are, who are sort of wanting, you know, accurate updates on how Virgil van Dijk is doing and Gomez is doing and the players that were really key in previous seasons. And uh, potentially Virgil van Dijk making uh, an appearance um, tomorrow against Hertha Berlin, which uh, which is for however long he is. I think every Liverpool fan's been watching the training and been watching his his regime back to fitness, but we want to see yeah. him on a pitch in a red shirt again. We especially want to see him alongside Canate. Um, any news on whether that's an official kind of start, as, as official as it can be? Is it looking like something that's going to happen? Uh, well, I, I spoke to someone yesterday, actually, um, and, and they were saying that they've been speaking to Virgil and, and he's ready to go and, and he can't wait. Um, I was surprised initially because Klopp said after the Mainz game on Friday that he'd be surprised if, if Van Dijk played any part. And then was it by the Tuesday, he basically said, yeah, we're looking to, to kind of possibly get some minutes. And he wasn't too strong on it, but I think the fact that he, he was willing to say it means that he's probably looking to give Van Dijk 15 or 20 minutes at some point. And given how um, keen he apparently is to get involved, then I would I would be surprised now if we don't see Van Dijk. Um, and I think it's just the kind of fill up that a lot of fans needed, didn't he? You know, just just to see him back on a pitch. It's been a long time since he he hobbled off in mid October in Goodison Park after that reckless Jordan Pickford challenge, and Liverpool certainly missed him at times. Like any team would, he's the best defender in the world for me. He's, he's probably the best defender I think I've ever seen at, at Liverpool. Um, so it'll be good to see him back on the pitch in a Liverpool kit, and then hopefully he can play. Another 15, 20 minutes or so against Bologna and then step it up a little bit in, in one of the games against either Athletic or Osasuna. I don't imagine he'll play um, in both. I imagine it'd be one or the other. And then I don't think he'll be ready for Norwich. He won't be 100% for Norwich, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty um, confident in Matip and Canate starting against Norwich. Um, I think a lot of fans would probably agree with me on that one as well. And maybe just keep Van Dijk in reserve on the bench and then you know just ease him back in over August and then See where we are after the September international break. We might be getting a, a fully fit Virgil van Dijk. You know, eleven months on from that injury, and he'll be, um, you know, an absolute superstar for Liverpool next season. Yeah, it's it's such a cagey thing at the moment, isn't it, Theo? Because the last thing you want, and then any Liverpool fan will be absolutely thrilled to see him trot out in a Liverpool top. But I think we'll be watching any footage of Virgil van Dijk at the moment with our, through our fingers, because any, you know, you know, players. Playing alongside players, playing against them in these friendlies, they're not going to be giving them a wide berth, and anything could cause a pull up. And then, of course, you're sort of back to square one. So, really cagey time at the moment. Well, you saw it with Danny Ings, didn't you, a few years ago when he did his ACL, and then he came back and he did the other one pretty much straight away. Uh, it's one where you come back from these big injuries, you do pick up niggles, you do pick up knocks, and if you rushed it or you don't tread carefully, you are at risk of doing something a bit more serious. But it seems that the whole process, Liverpool have been very mature with how they've handled Virgil's Van Dijk's return. And he has as well, because it would have been easy for him to be so focused to say, I want to captain Netherlands at the Euros. I want to play in front of the fans back at the Amsterdam Arena. But no, he shows that it was best for his long-term career, for his Liverpool career, to miss that summer, to focus on more on his recovery. And now we're getting the rewards of it, the fact we're could see him in the shirt against uh, Hertha Berlin. It's a testament to the hard work he's put in behind the scenes. 
And I know we've been hearing mixed things along like the whole process of which one of these defenders was closer to returning to action. And then we know with Joe Gomez in the past, he has had setbacks when he's had big injuries and you can understand why they want to tread a bit more carefully with him. But in Van Dyke's career, he's usually been fairly injury free. He's never really missed any games has he the whole time he's been at Liverpool before he did his ACL. So you'd like to think that he can get back on there um, against this, in this friendly against Hertha Blin and just pick, not almost pick up where he left off, but he can take those big steps. And then in a month, six weeks time, it can be Virgil van Dijk is back and you don't have to worry so much about this. But it is a case of what Virgil van Dijk is returning here. Like It's all very well putting him back on the football pitch, seeing him kick a ball around and train him. It takes time to come back from these serious injuries. He's well, pushing 30 now. It's whether he's still got that pace, how long it will take him back to get his fitness match sharpness. Uh, it might be one of those where we could still be heading towards the second half of the season before you see the very best of him. But from what we've seen of him in the past, he is superhuman. It wouldn't be a surprise if he did just pick up where he left off. Um, that first appearance in Liverpool shirt again will be that first sign of what we can expect in the weeks ahead. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and it's becoming more apparent now, Paul, isn't it, that the reason why Canate was such an important signing for Liverpool was it's becoming more important, more more obvious now that he will be, I would imagine, the starting centre-back alongside Matip. And I guess it, it, in some ways, it's good that there isn't a pressure on Joe Gomez to get to get back to fitness as soon as possible. He's sort of, not certainly not a forgotten man, but because all eyes are pointed at Virgil van Dijk, Gomez is allowed to just sort of get about it with any kind of pressure on him. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't know the kind of specifics between both injuries of van Dijk and Gomez, but they were around about three weeks to four weeks apart. Gomez got injured on international duty with England in the November. And obviously van Dijk was in the October. So if you're judging it very roughly, then Gomez is, is a month behind Van Dijk in that recovery process. And judging by that, you, you might not necessarily expect them to feature for, you know, a few weeks at least. Uh, that's all kind of rough estimates, of course, but just going off of that kind of schedule. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. I, I think all the attention is on Van Dijk and Gomez has just been allowed to quietly get on with it. And obviously, Joel Matip's obviously taken a bit of focus as well. Um, with his injury in January. And yeah, I think it, it's gone from famine to feast for, for Liverpool centre backs. They obviously got Van Dijk on the comeback trail, very close to some sort of game time. Canate and Matt are both fully fit. Gomez, you know, is training again. And obviously, now Phillips is still there as well, still on the books. So it's a really strong area now for Liverpool at a time when, you know, you're looking back three, four months and it was desperate, wasn't it? It was dire, even two months ago when you, you only had Matt Phillips and Reese Williams. So um, things are looking up in, in that department for Liverpool. And, and I think generally they'll, they'll be incredibly unlucky to, to have a season anywhere near as bad as it was last season for injuries. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Looking at other areas of the pitch, and I, I again, I know it's very early days, but it's... It's always your first sight of what Liverpool, some of the Liverpool players have been doing and the fitness levels they're getting to. I'm very, very impressed with with um, Harvey Elliott. Certainly the movements, uh, he, he was all over the pitch. Um, and also Naby Keita, you know, the, the the nearly man, if you like, in the Liverpool shape. We've been longing for Naby Keita. I don't think he's a little fan who didn't want him to absolutely hit the ground running. Um, it's been a while now. He's never really fulfilled any of the potential that was offered, but um, looked very, very sharp and... Um, It'd be great, wouldn't it, in the current situation in the midfield of Liverpool? 
And obviously we've got Tiago, we've got we've got plenty of people in there, but it would be great, wouldn't it, to to get a fully fit Naby Keita who could who could who could carry that fitness on um and and really kind of live up to some potential this season, Theo. Yeah, it's one yeah, where it's... Naby Keita can build on it and he can stay fit and he can put in this run of his um performances. Do you really need a Ginny Wijnaldum replacement? Like the only reason you're asking those questions is because the injury records of Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. But this is Naby Keita's Liverpool career so far, isn't it? He always seems to have a really good pre-season, look fresh, and you think he's got the injuries behind him now. This is the moment we see the real Naby Keita pushing on. And then it gets to the season, he'll put in a few good games, and then he'll pick up a knock or he'll miss a couple of games, pick up an injury. And it's just, it's always these false starts. And it's getting to that stage now where it's frustrating, isn't it? It's not just for him, it's for everyone. Like We're not seeing the Naby Keita that the Liverpool fans expected to see or that Jurgen Klopp promised. And it's not quite last chance saloon for him, but he's almost become the forgotten man in the fact that you're not expecting him to make a place his own in this team. You're expecting them to want to bring in another midfielder and he's just going to be a squad player again. But we have seen players in the past who can take their opportunities when it's presenting themselves to him. Is like you never had these injury problems in Germany with Leipzig. So maybe, just maybe, it is his time to shine. He can stake this claim. Like Jordan Henderson is not back yet after the Euros. So he's going to get opportunities throughout the, the rest of pre-season. And it's up to him to prove that Liverpool don't need to sign another midfielder, that he is very much right there in the first team reckoning. I think if you choose your, your first choice Liverpool midfield, most fans would say it's Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago. But it's up to Cates to make sure he is that fourth choice and he is the one who's very much on hand to grab up any opportunity that comes his way to break to up, break that, up three. that three. Yeah, absolutely. And Gorsley, when he is in form and when he's playing and he's and he's and he's up for it. Because I always find with Naby Cates, it's always it's always felt to me like it's a bit of an attitude situation with him as well, whether he's just not kind of He's not kind of up for it sometimes, and and he takes a tumble, and then he's out for. I don't know whether you can hear the thunder and lightning above. If you can hear that, that is great, man. Is, I love thunder lightning. I'd be have that now, like Shawshank standing with my arms in the air. Just, um, uh, it's always felt like a bit of an attitudinal problem with, with me for 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 navigator. But when he is on on song, that wonderful first touch pushing the ball forward, very much like Thiago does as well. They're very front foot midfielders, aren't they? And it would be. It would be great to, to it'd almost be like a new sign, wouldn't it, if we could try and get some sort of stability and, and, and consistency in his game? Yeah, well, I think this is the issue, though. We're sitting here now, and Navigator's about to start his fourth season as a Liverpool player. I'm still talking about what, you know, what if and, and can't cut should have other others. And um, I, I just think it was telling that he was brought off within, I think I've said this before, within two minutes before half time in Madrid. Would have been so much easier for Klopp to have just made that change at half time and, and just have said, Oh no, he, he had a bit of a slight knock. And, and no one would question it, would you? With with Naby Katie, you, you wouldn't think it was a, a white lie or anything. But Klopp brought him off and then said after the game it was a tackle decision. And we all know, don't we, that when a manager says it's a tackle decision, it basically means this lad went up to it. He, he was having a shot on him, he had to get him off. Um, but then he goes and puts in a little half hour in there in pre season. And, He's dragging people back in and people are getting a bit excited again. And oh, can he do it? Can he do it? And he's got the ability. There's, there's no question about it. Um, I just think it might be a situation where I don't think it, I don't think it's an attitude thing, like you say, Fitzy. I think it might just be a case of not being um sturdy enough, solid enough for the Premier League. You know, 
you look at his injury history, he hasn't had any particularly big injuries. They're all just little knocks and minor little tweaks and pulls and here and there, and, and they all add up to a lot of time on the shelf. I don't think there's been one injury where he's been out for three or four months. They're all just little little tiny ones, and maybe this, this season, you know, it's, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that this is the year that he explodes into life, but... Um, it remains to be seen. Hopefully, um, I'm proven wrong, but we, we, we'll see, I guess. Well, we mentioned, uh, Theo mentioned Gino Ronaldo and very, very strange kind of admission. When he, when he, when he, the decision was made that he was moving on to PSG and obviously in the build-up to the Euros, he was very um, tight-lipped, should we say, about the reasons why he'd left Liverpool. And But we all kind of, because of that gap and him saying, oh, when the time's right, I'll explain what was going on and stuff. We all, I think... Sort of made our minds up that it was it was it was contractual. It was something that Liverpool Football Club didn't give him that he wanted, and and he was sort of you know reluctantly forced to move on. And then we get this really strange um, press conference kind of or, or, or admission that uh, the main reason he moved on was because he felt at times unloved and social media trodden. And it was a really strange kind of thing for, for, I think, most, if not all, Liverpool fans to read and to listen to because um, it was it sort of tarnished his stay a bit, Theo, isn't it? I mean, what, what do you think the theory is behind that? Surely he knows how Tronham works. It seems like a bit of a, a strange thing and something that's obviously certainly affected him. Yeah, it's, one, it's a rather delicate situation. Like You can almost understand it to the extent that he was maybe taken for granted a little bit. The fact that you wouldn't have had him in your first choice Liverpool midfield when Thiago was signed, the fact that he was the midfielder that was fit for every single game that you could always count on. But then we never really saw the Gini Wijnaldum that fans expected to see, the one who would go on international international duty for the Netherlands and score goal after goal, get assist after assist. We knew he was this workhorse, but you never really saw that 10 out of 10 player that you saw in international duty. And it's one where Liverpool fans, they, they did appreciate him. Like He will always have his place in their record books for the Barcelona brace and so many big goals and big moments. But it, there's always that it could have been a little bit more. So I can understand it from that point of view, from what he said. But it's still not something you expect a player to come out and say is the main reason for going. And it's one where maybe he feels a bit more precious about it because his last season, 18 months at the club, there have not been the fans there. So he's not had that love from the cop and everything. He is just getting those trolls. But everyone gets trolls. Like, you'll get trolls on social media. Me and Gorsley get trolls on social media. We're not going to come out and say, oh, I'm leaving my job or anything because of it. It's just a, a sad part of life. And it's one where if it really affects, affects you, you, you can mute it. You can. You don't have to look. Uh, and it's, it's a strange one, really, for him to say it's the main reason for him going. Uh, whether it was just an excuse or something else he wanted to put out there, I don't know. But you think, well, contract-wise, he probably would have felt that he deserved more than what was on offer, not just financially, but for the length of the contract as well. And he's taken for granted a bit by club bosses too. But then that was just a business decision, wasn't it? You can understand why Liverpool wouldn't want to give big money to a player who's now 30 going towards a slowing down stage of his career and it all comes together. But when he was coming out and saying during the last weeks of his career that when he'd spoken to his teammates and they all, once they'd heard his reasoning, knew exactly why he wanted to go and they couldn't fault his decision 
and then how much he loved having the, the fans back for that last appearance, even though it was only 10,000 for him. It is mixed messages somewhat from, it's like, well, say Liverpool get PSG in the Champions League now, you're not going to have him ignoring the fans, are you? He's going to be there lapping up every single bit of affection he's getting. It'll be like a send-off he should have got. Um, maybe it's almost lost in translation because trolls on social media or whatever, they're not the real football fans that love players that love the clubs are. There is a line between it. But it was still a strange thing for him to come out and say because it he's long enough in the game now to know it is part and parcel. It's not something that is just... Liverpool is he? He's going to have at it throughout his career and he's going to get it again at PSG and whatever happens throughout the rest of his career. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if he does cross paths with Liverpool again in the future, for sure. Yeah, very strange, Paul. I mean, I, you know, I've been one of your biggest trolls for a long time, Ghosting. I know you just get on with it, but it, it just seemed like a bit of a a bit of a strange kind of, you know, part and shot, didn't it? And, and especially when especially when he'd done this sort of, oh, wait and see, wait and see, I'm not going to tell you right now, I'm not going to... I mean, surely after that, you get the euros out the way and then you just say, oh, forget it. You know, don't worry about yeah, it. You don't yeah. make a point of saying, well, actually, what it was, was I had a really nasty message one day. You know, it's, I know, I know. And like Theo says, we, we all get them and I guess they get them tenfold. But, you know, switch off your notifications, mate. I mean, there's bigger, more important things in life than that. And it, it just seemed a bit petty. Yeah, it was a very orchestrated thing, actually. I think I think it was over Zoom with a few members of the, the national newspapers and um, one of them. Was, was Henry Winter, who, I mean, you know, in our field, he's, he's at, the, at the top of the tree, isn't he, for names and, and so on. So I think maybe Van Allen's representatives have been keen to get this message out and have invited some of the the, the big names to 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 get the point across. Uh, and I think that's what's happened there. And obviously, Van Allen's got a few things that he's wanted to get off his chest. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you a bit, Fitzy, in terms of, it was it was very coy and cryptic, and then he's made his move, and maybe he should have just let sleeping dogs lie and and moved on. But um, he was obviously keen to stress this point that uh, last season that there was a lot of unsavoury things getting thrown at him and several others in the Liverpool squad on, on social media. And I think if you know if Anfield had been full, um, I, I don't think he'd be having this conversation. I think because it's been empty, maybe a lot of these players are looking on social media now to to see how the how their performances are being rated in the eyes of fans. And then you're opening up a can of worms because there's so many morons and idiots on there that just, as Theo says, that they're not, they're not proper fans, are they? They're not proper people who, who love the club. And, okay, of course, you can critique and you can be you can be critical in, in a constructive way. But, you know, a lot of the stuff you see is just a nonsense. And I think I said that on, on Monday's pod, these people who write, get out of my club, and, and you know, they couldn't point Anfield out on a map. It's just... A lot of it is just um, probably probably young people um, and people who don't realise that some of the stuff they're saying, you know, does affect people. And, and in an era now where, you know, everyone's so keen to, to stress the importance of mental health and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, I, I think he probably was right to to say, look, I'm, I'm a bit sick of all the abuse I've been getting because... Um, it, you know, it would have been easier for them to just ignore it all. Um, and I think Jamie Carragher made that point, didn't he? But um, he shouldn't really have to. You know, it, it's his social media and, and if he wants to look through it, um, then that's his prerogative. Um, others probably wouldn't just because, you know, of how many idiots are on there and saying things that can probably bring you down a few pegs when you don't really need to be. Yeah, strange one. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, 
he owes us nothing and, and uh, he was a great servant any true Liverpool fan will know that he was an absolutely great servant for the club and we wish him nothing but good luck in the future and yeah. um you know, uh, and uh, and it's just unfortunate, really, because it, it it feels like it might have left a bit of a bitter taste in his mouth, and that's a shame because he, he, he there's no doubt he's well loved as as a Liverpool player. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Looking at potential replacements, then, and then obviously, you know, United have uh, 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 statements of intent from then. They've got Jordan Jordan Sancho. They've just. They've just secured uh, Varane as well, so they're looking to really tighten up. Interesting that Liverpool, apart from Canate, of course, you know, they're, they're sort of offloading at the moment, aren't they? LaRucci's just gone, hasn't he? They've got rid of um, um, uh, Harry Wilson um, and uh, Gruwich, <clears throat> a couple of others. So you're looking at it and there's a possibility, of course, that uh, Shaqiri's going to go as well. He's mentioned that he, he, he wants to get off. So you're looking at they're looking at recouping probably, and that's without Nat Phillips' interest from Brighton, depending on whether Ben White goes to Arsenal. I mean, you could be looking at over the next couple of weeks, you could be looking at sixty million pounds worth of of chucking at the club. It makes you wonder um, what Liverpool are actually doing behind the scenes, either to try and secure the services of, services of someone to, to in midfield to try and shore up the, the Wijnaldum uh, gap, or whether or not. They're looking at anyone up front because let's be honest, guys, and we have discussed this before, but last season's woes were very much down to uh, the loss of Virgil van Dijk and the, the centre-backs that we lost that sort of rejigged the balance of the team. But let's be honest, the last third, maybe half to the third of the season was also quite clearly down to a lack of goal scoring um, and, and the problem that the front three had. Um and uh, that's something that possibly needs addressing as well. As I mean, do you guys know? I'll, I'll start with you, Theo. Do you hear anything on the grapevine about? I know Liverpool have gone back to the old ways of being really quiet with their deals, which we always appreciated. But um, do you feel that there needs to be someone, maybe even more so than a midfield player, if you've got the Harvey Elliott and the Caters and the Oxlade Chamberlains and the Thiago's of the world? Um, do we need to be looking at someone who's going to be hot on the heels of, a, of the Jotters and the, certainly the Bobby Firminos and the, the Salad and Manes just to keep them chomping at the bit? Because, they, you know, they were lacking, weren't they, last season? It's a really interesting one to look at because you think when you've got so many options in depth at Liverpool that if they'd start the season tomorrow, they'd be content with what they've got at their hand. But at the same time, if the right player came up at the right price, they would make moves. Like it's one way you can go through the squad now, and if you look at all the rumours and everything, there's probably a good ten players left that you could see potentially moving on before the the window closes. And then it's just well, what do Liverpool want to do? They do keep the cards close to their chest, and that's a good thing. Like Yotta came out of absolutely nowhere last season. You think well, if they're going to bring someone in, you want them to do it like that again to be someone that's maybe not been linked or not been. Uh, really right on the, to the nose of the fans that can come in and make that impact. But then I suppose it's one where, well, when you see the players that are leaving, uh, so far they're not ones that Liverpool need to replace in the squad because one he, uh, for example, he's not had a work permit. He's never been available to play for the club. Gurich has just been on loan after loan. Same for Harry Wilson. These aren't players in the Liverpool first team that need replacing. And you think, well, numbers-wise, yeah, you might lose a Genie Wijnaldum, but you've got or a Shakiri, but Harvey Elliott is that number there. Minamino's back from his loan at Southampton. He's a number there. They've got that the bodies there. 
It's just who else moves on and then what do you want to do to fill these gaps? I think you go to any team in the Premier League, you can get X, but you have to sell Y. They will do that. It's always about upgrading your squad and Liverpool will be no different. But when it's this sort of uh, summer again where it's all a bit later than usual because of the Euros, because they're still almost calming down after the pandemic when the season had to start later, it is a change of pace from Liverpool. We're used to seeing them doing business early in the window and they haven't been able to apart from Canate. So it's just getting the, the house in order, seeing which players move on, seeing which ones they want to keep a hold of, who impresses in pre-season, and then looking at what they need to do. Because you could say, Takumi Minamuno, for example, he could have the pre-season of his life and then you think, well, he is an option in that front three. Uh, Harvey Elliott would have said, well, he's an understudy for Mohamed Salah, but he's actually doing pretty well in this midfield in pre-season so far. It's about looking at these players, seeing if they can grab these opportunities and then deciding rather than just writing them off. It's something that Jurgen Klopp has always tried to do, for example, with uh, Harry Wilson. He's always had pre-season to show what he's about and he's never quite done enough to get into that first team picture. But there will be players that Liverpool are looking at that have been on short lists and long lists because we know they plan these windows two, three years in advance. They've always got players they're monitoring throughout the whole process. So if there is someone they want to bring in this summer, they'll already be on a short list. They'll already be scouting. They've already been sounding out the agents. It's just about that opportunity coming up. It's why they didn't sign a centre-back last summer, for example, because they'd have been looking at Tua Canate further down the line at when it was the right deal at the right time. Yeah, and also, Gorsi, I guess the way they would also probably, it's prudent to wait till the, the nonsense of the Euros calms down where you have players like Chiesa, who, who no doubt was one of the stars of the show, but, you know, there's, there's an extra couple of notes put on his price tag. So there's always that waiting. And, you know, if rumours are to be believed, Liverpool chucked an 86 million euro bid for him or something that was that was, that was was uh, refused. Um, but, you know, you're looking at Sol Niguez, um, Barella, Renato Sanchez, all these names keep coming up. But surely it would it would be um, it would be prudent to try and get someone who is going to. I mean, look at the end of the day, we all want Sadio Mane to have the seasons that he's been having. But last season he, he was very much off the boil, wasn't he? And it and it showed, and it cost us a lot of points. Really, we lost a lot of a lot of points through situations where we just weren't converting goals. And you'd like to think the Liverpool have got someone on the radar up there as well that we can that can try and freshen up and try and put a bit of pressure on them on that front three. Yeah, with regards to someone was, was telling me recently that the, that the problem that you know those at the club have got now is uh, Klopp doesn't want to just just bring anyone in for the sake of it. He doesn't just want to buy a midfielder just so he's got a Gino and Alden replacements per se. Um, the backroom staff and, and Klopp and, and everyone at the club are kind of looking at well, if we're bringing someone in, it's got to be someone to go straight into the first team. Someone who's capable of challenging the likes of Thiago and Henderson and Fabinho. And the problem is how readily available those players are and, and for what cost. Um, so that is, is pretty much where Liverpool are at, at this stage. And um, it, was, it was also stressed that the outgoings, uh, the incomings aren't dependent on the outgoings. So, you know, Liverpool are raising all this money. Um, but they don't necessarily need it for the incomes. But I, I kind of find that hard to buy because otherwise, you know, what, what, what's the what's the reason to offload them other than the fact that these players want a fresh challenge? Um, now, it's probably no skin off Liverpool's nose if, if they keep a Marco Grubic around um, just, just on the off chance of, of injuries or whatever. So I think Liverpool, you know, 
certainly the, the money that they're bringing in, they've been looking to clear the decks in terms of the homegrown quotas and, and knowing what spaces are free in the squad before they kind of spring into action in, in the markets. And as Theo says, a lot of the work is already done, targets are identified and scouting's been done, the, the data's been assessed and all that. And then it's just a case of um, what can you do, what, what's feasible and you know, what, what kind of sums they've got to play around with. So I still think that there's uh, some movement in the effort of Bill. Uh, I, think, I do think they'll bring in a forward and a midfielder. Um, wouldn't say I wouldn't be too much of a of a betting man to put any money on who the identities will be at this point. But I certainly think that before the, the end of the transfer window, um, August thirty first, I think Liverpool will have another couple on board. I mean, I think uh, it, it, you've just summed it up. Really, it, it is very difficult, and we we started saying this when we had Salah and Mane really on fire, and we started saying the difficulty you've got is trying to bring someone in with the calibre to be able to give them a bit of a shock if they weren't if they weren't if they weren't producing the goods, but also with the patience to know that they're going to be sitting on a bench. And that's the difficulty, Theo, isn't it? The difficulty is trying to attract a player who is if he's flying, you know, unless he's a Haaland or an Mbappe, of course, who is who would go straight in. You you're looking at a player that doesn't mind sitting waiting for his chance. And of course, you know, it's it's difficult for players to want to do that to come from a club where they're playing first team football to come to Liverpool and then say, well, you sit there, and if Mane pulls up or Salah's off form or Bobby's blowing, then you can get a chance. They're not want to do that. They want to get straight in, don't they? I suppose the best way to look at it is comparing to a Manchester City the fact that you'd go through their attacking positions, and Kevin De Bruyne is the only star man. He is the one who, if he is fit, he starts every single game. And it doesn't matter the identity of the other players around him, Bernardo Silva, Mares, Raheem Sterling. They are going to have games in the starting eleven. They're going to have games out of the starting eleven. It is just that one star man. Whereas for Liverpool, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah, they have been the star men for so long now. It is not really their time to be taken out of that limelight. They've still got life left in their legs. So Liverpool have got to approach it differently because it is a case of like Yotta last season. You sign that player who can go into the start at 11, who can make an impact when players are not quite on form. But I don't think anyone really expected him to have as many opportunities as he did at the expense of a Firmino or a Mane last season. It was just that uh, how they coincided. But then it is timing because you look at the age of this front three now and it is that gradual decline will start. There will be a time when Liverpool can't just keep giving them pay rises and keep them on on long, lengthy contracts. They will have to move one of them on so they can reinvest in the squad. And you can't suddenly go to one of them, right, you're now a squad player overnight. It's just that gradual what is right for the squad. And it's one where there are the right sort of players out there that are younger, can learn their trade a little bit and then step into the team. Like if you think Harvey Elliott, he's what, only 18. He's going to have a couple of years now learning from Hamid Salah and then it could be a case of he's ready to be that starting player on that, that right side of the front three, or if he's making his name now in midfield. But it's one where, like I said, do you go and spend 40, 50 million, or even in Jaden Sancho's case, do you go and put in 73 million on a player who well, you wouldn't start him ahead of Salah? If Mane's on form, you wouldn't start him ahead of Mane. That is the dilemma Liverpool have. And it's just about when do they time these decisions right? When do they decide that Mane or Salah, it's time for them to go? The um, best example in FSG era is Fernando Torres. Like That was a shock when he went to Chelsea for 50 million. The fans had it in the memory, everything he'd done for the club in the past. But he had been on the decline for those few months before going. 
And then when you see them bringing in Luis Suarez and what Torres did after that, they timed that decision perfectly and it was for the benefit of the club and they really moved on from that. It's the only difference now is Liverpool are in such a good place. They're at the top of the ladder again. How do you get them a player of the calibre who can make that decision? Do you do it overnight or is it a gradual thing? Yeah, because the main difference that we all have to keep remembering and reminding ourselves is that, you know, Man City have got to replace Aguero. Well, you can be guaranteed they're going to, and they're not going to replace him with a 19-year-old unknown kid, are they? That's not how they play the game. They're going to replace him with either, you know, Harry Kane or a Haaland or a, or whoever's there because they, they can afford everyone. Liverpool have never been able to play that game, and and which, you know, which makes their more recent accomplishments even more incredible when you think about it. Yes, of course, big sign. 75 million is a big sign. Um, you know, as was the keeper. But as far as, you know, the, the Manes of the world and the Salas, they're 30, 30 million around, around about that. And that's kind of where they're going, if not less, aren't they? So we just, we just don't play that game the way City do and the way Chelsea do. Um, ours is a, 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 and United. Ours is about trying to find and like you said before, they are probably as we, as we speak. They have been scouting some young kid who's um, who's sort of you know on fire and, and is going to do it in the next few seasons. And that's the way they do it because that kid doesn't mind coming and sitting and watching the lane from from the best there is. And that that's just something as Liverpool fans, when you're reading the pick up newspapers and you you're reading online reports about huge players going to the cities and the Chelsea's of the world, you have to expect as a Liverpool fan that we have a different way of doing it, Paul. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Liverpool don't work that way because they can't, essentially. People around the club are speaking of the need to be responsible this summer. And and I think, reading between the lines, I think that's kind of, we can't just go and throw money at it because of the financial impact of the pandemic. Liverpool released the figures in May, was it? May or April? And they basically forecast a £120 million loss because of it. And, and this is a club who aren't exactly a Man City to begin with. Um, so it's all, you know, it's all, all has an impact, doesn't it? That's why they, they're looking to raise funds from fringe players, and um, they will do business. But it's got to be the right player. It's got to be the right fee, and and yeah, they're very much targeting the player who's looking to take the kind of next step. If you like, like United, they just brought in Rafa Varane, who's what three-time Champions League winner. Um, sorry, four-time Champions League winner, three-time La Liga winner, um, World Cup winner, France international. It has been for years at the peak of his career, twenty-eight. Liverpool wouldn't really do that, that type of move. Liverpool, you know, I think Giotta is kind of the ideal pen picture of a of a move that Liverpool would look to make. Um, of course, they got Thiago last season, but that was a bit more opportunistic and it broke them all a little bit because he only had the year left in his contract and he wanted a new challenge and whatever else. But I think Giotta now, when, you know, when he was coming in 23, 24, um, making the step up from a from a decent Premier League club in Wolves to, to an elite one in Liverpool and um, looking to kind of sign that five-year deal, which will be the best five years of his career. And and I think that, again, it's pretty similar with Canate. He, he was he just turned 22 when Liverpool announced him. Um, five-year deal. And obviously, be what Liverpool hope will be the, the best years of his career as a centre-back. And these are very much the, the types of players who Liverpool are looking to buy. Not so much the the elite level, more maybe the, the, the rung below who can, uh, who are good enough to kind of make that step up. And, I suppose it's about identifying those players before the uh, the snaffle from the likes of of a City or a Chelsea United or even someone like a, a Dortmund. You know, who did they've been doing that to perfection for years. To be fair to them, yeah, that's the blueprint, isn't it? When you look at the players that they've they've either they've either cultured themselves or they've brought in at a very early time. Uh, 
uh, and then develop and then sell on for massive funds. Poetry in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. Talking about fundraising, I think I think we can all agree that the Liverpool, um, the Athletic Bilbao and the Osasuna games are certainly one of them. Um, they're, they're revenue suppliers, aren't they? I think there's only one reason for that, really, isn't there? Is to, is to try and get as much revenue through the gates before the season starts yeah. because you've got them, you know, you've got, we've got Hearth at 20 past seven kickoff. Um, and then Sunday, the 8th of August, is uh, Atletico Bilbao, and then Monday, the 9th, so it's the day after. So you're not going to get, you're getting two completely different teams there, aren't you, playing football? So yeah. it will be great, though, won't it? For, I mean, presumably, I'm not sure what the laws are standby COVID wise, but are they full capacities, Paul? 75%. Um, but on, on top of obviously the revenue thing, which is which is a big one for Liverpool, I think they're keen to thrash out any logistical issues from having you know such a big crowd back. And they say you know if, if there are any hiccups on the Sunday, then they certainly want to get it sorted on the Monday in time for the Burnley game because the last thing you want is full crowd for that Burnley game. The atmosphere is going to be bouncing and everyone's going to be absolutely well up for it. And You've got problems with the new ticket system and, and whatever else. I think Liverpool are just keen to kind of get all that sorted and boxed off before the Burnley game. And get making sure you get plenty of pies in for you. I mean, not, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that for you. I'm saying that for me as well. And all of <laughs> you don't want to be getting there at half-time and say, where's the ghost pies gone? Um, yeah, there is logistics as well, isn't it? But it, it, it's going to be incredible for some of them players, mate, isn't it, to, to get that. So, I mean, as Paul says, 75% is going to make a lot of noise. And I mean, 10,000 made a lot of noise. It's just going to be for the likes of, of certainly Canate, who's never been in Anfield before uh, in that respect. But even Thiago, who has played against us, but not for us, wearing that Liverpool shirt, Jota again. It's going to be an incredible experience for those players and, and really something that is going to live long in their memory. Yeah, it's going to be a party atmosphere, isn't it? It's like, it's almost the, the Premier League title winning side's homecoming. They haven't had that opportunity in front of a, a big, big crowd yet. And it is just, you know, to fall in love with the sides again. Like Last season's almost a footnote, isn't it? You can't write it off as something that didn't happen. But when you consider you took the fans away and they went on that horrible losing run at home, well, the fans are back now. Let's see what Liverpool are really about again. Yeah, players are a bit older, but they're a bit wiser as well. And it's about getting that relationship going with the fans again. Like we saw early in Klopp's reign where he was urging fans to stay in their seats until the very end. We saw him doing the the salutes after that West Brom draw. But then it just went from strength to strength and Liverpool went on that insane run where they just didn't lose at Anfield year after year. And you'd like to think, granted, it's only pre-season, but get a couple of wins on the board, get your players used to playing in front of these fans again. And it could be the start of another three, four year unbeaten Anfield run. Because if you've got this Anfield crowd behind this Liverpool team, really just looking forward to being back in that stadium again, making a noise, that's going to make a big difference. It is going to be a game changer in the title this year. It is going to win them games. Like We've had games before where it's been great for a Barcelona when you need to win 4-0, but it's the, the 12 o'clocks against your Burnleys or your Brightons on a Saturday lunchtime where it's a bit sleepy. There aren't going to be any sleepy crowds here for the next few months, are there? It's just going to be fans delighted to be back in those seats again, seeing these players again. And when they were last there, it was waiting for Liverpool to become champions. It was waiting for them to be this big team, this legacy team. Well, they're very much a legacy team now. They've got some of the best players in the world and they can prove it now. They're European champions, they're world champions, they're English champions. And this season, it's about getting those medals again. And with the fans behind them, you wouldn't back against them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Theo, I mean, Theo's just sorted out there, hasn't he, Paul? I mean, the fact of the matter is they're going to be walking out and that is going to be a champion's parade, isn't it? Even though, obviously, as we know, they're not champions now, but they're long overdue a pat on the back from the fans and a long overdue the fans letting them know what they think of them. And that is going to be a special occasion, regardless of being a friendly. They are going to be very, very special occasions, aren't they, when that team is led out there and then fans get that first opportunity en masse to tell them what they think of them and to thank them for the for the for the for the football they've been giving us. Yeah, it's gonna be a special moment, isn't it? Because it's gonna be the first first big crowd since March twenty twenty, um, which is incredible really when you when you think of it like that. And I, I almost feel this is a bit of a perfect storm for Liverpool now that this summer because you've got the majority of the players in for pre season. You know, Salah, Van Dijk, Trent, Mane, um, Gomez, Alex Oxley Chamberlain. There are loads of players there who have had a full pre-season who wouldn't normally have had, had that. Um, on top of that, um, the returning to stadiums where the crowd will be absolutely desperate to kind of um, give them a you know a, a massive return. And, and as Theo says, Anfield's going to be absolutely rocking for, for a good few months, isn't it? Pretty much every game. So um, all things kind of considered, I think Liverpool are going to, fly out the traps this season and um, with everyone fit and ready I think they, they could be looking to lay down a mark over the first couple of months and then, and then see where they are so I'm looking forward to it yeah yeah exciting times and if you are if you're listening to this right now and you are lucky enough to be going to uh, either the Osasuna game or the Bilbao game you are in for the right treat and I know you'll sing your hearts out because it's, it's going to be a very very special time and um, and Andy Robertson's always got uh, Canate's bathrobe to uh, his dressing gown to, to 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 lend if he wants to. If you haven't seen them pitches, they're, they're very very funny, and also kind of gives gives away uh, that special kind of uh, bond that uh, Liverpool players get when they when when they join this club, and 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 um, that's been great to see online as well. How how well everyone's been getting on with each other, and there seems to be a real camaraderie and a real fighting spirit, and we can't wait. Theo Squires, thank you very much, my friend. Really appreciate your input as always. Thanks for having us. Thanks to offer it. <laughs> No worries, my my friend. And no doubt we'll chat again before the start of the season. We'll, we'll get a few more pods in before we get cracking. Ghosty, thank you once again, young man. You're and and uh, you'll both be there, obviously, in the first game. Sing your heart out. I won't be, but sing for me, will you, lads? Um, <laughs> thank you very much, boys. Uh, we are nearly there. We're nearly at the start of the season. We will be ready. We're always ready. And um, just if you are at those games, just you know, really show them, lads, what you're thinking of them. And uh, maybe even Jeannie will get the message. Uh, thank you very much, boys. This has been uh, Poetry Motion with me, Neil Fitz. Catch you all again soon. Take care. You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.